Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you oh so much for the many things you've blessed us with all throughout the year and now the blessed opportunity once again to be able to gather in your house and to celebrate Christmas, the day that you come down to take on flesh to live amongst us, to provide us with that ultimate gift, the gift of salvation, and then a gift that we can turn around and share with others, but yet we still have for ourselves. We thank you oh so much for all of it. As we pray in Jesus' precious holy name, amen. Merry Christmas, Christmas of 2022. It's amazing how quick the years seem to be clicking by. And now here it is already 2022. But this Christmas we can look back and see the account recorded in the the Word of God so that we really know what the season is all about. With all the festivities and the gift giving and the decorations and the the parties and the feasts and so forth, we can sometimes get distracted on what it really represents, that it represents the time when the Lord come down to take on flesh to live amongst us. And even if the records that we have as far as when that occurred are not exactly accurate, it doesn't really matter. The fact that we have chosen the day to commemorate that, that's really what it's all about. And we can see many things in the scriptures concerning that day, such as the prophecies that go all the way back to to Genesis and and the prophecies that were fulfilled in in the Gospels, the records that we have, the his accurate and true historical records. And the prophecies such as Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, where it reads, For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Peace, the the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace and that Everlasting Father, the recognition that Jesus Christ is part of God, is God in the flesh. As we see the account in John chapter 1, acknowledging Jesus Christ for who He is. There's many that think that He started His existence when He was born into this world. And they honor Him as a great historical figure or a great prophet, but not truly as God. But in the Gospel of John, He emphasizes here in chapter 1, where it reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. There was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That's that ultimate 
gift beyond all value, beyond any comprehension of how valuable that is, the ultimate gift of being able to be a part of the family of God. As he continues, which were born not of the blood. You don't receive that gift because you are of a particular lineage, nor of the will of the flesh. It isn't that you can just desire that for someone else or that by your efforts or your works you receive it, nor of the will of man. It isn't that you can decide who gets it and who doesn't get it, but of God. It's but of God. It comes from God. It's a gift from God. We cannot acquire it in any other way other than it being available through the finished work of Jesus Christ, a gift given to us. As it says in verse 14, and the Word was made flesh. That's what we commemorate on Christmas. The Word, Jesus Christ, being made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ, the Word, the one who spoke everything into existence, to be able to come down here and to take on flesh and to provide us with such an awesome gift was amazing that He would do that for us. And it's all truly by love. And let's look at some of that account that we have recorded over in Luke in chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, let's pick it up in verse 26, where it reads, And in the sixth month, now this reference of the timeline here is the sixth month of the pregnancies of Elizabeth, pregnancy of Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the Baptist. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, espoused meaning engaged to, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary, then Mary said unto the angel, How should this be, seeing I know not a man? Now this knowing not a man isn't that she has a general knowledge or know someone in a social setting of knowing their name or anything like that. Knowing, it's talking about having a relationship, a sexual personal relationship with anyone. Even though she is engaged, she hasn't had that kind of a relation yet. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. 
a miraculous virgin birth. Reads, And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Nothing impossible with God. And we've seen the evidences of that all through history and even in our own lives. As it continues, And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Mary had the perfect response, humbling herself and said, Behold, here I am, the handmaid of the Lord. I'm here to serve. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And she's given this wisdom by the power of the Holy Ghost. So she's recognizing and knowing what Mary is about to go through. Verse 46, And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaid. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And that wondrous account there, and her recognition of that task and that responsibility and going about to do what the Lord allowed her to be able to do. And if you jump on down to Luke in chapter 2, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child, an interesting point to bring out here, that here in verse 5, he's also recognizing and emphasizing espoused wife, engaged. They are engaged, but not a formal wedding yet. And she is with child. She's about to have a child, but not be married. Under the Mosaic law... If Joseph would have exposed her, they could have stoned her to death for being an adulteress. But Joseph kept that to himself, and they were basically in hiding. And now they come here because of this taxing. 
and she's about to give birth. And then after she gives birth to Jesus, then Joseph and Mary are actually married. We don't have that record in here, but historically you can look and they claim that, yes, that marriage took place after that because then they had several other kids after that, boys and girls. But let's go back to verse 5. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now this swaddling clothes is an interesting thing. Some have said, well, this was just some rags that he picked up in the stables there they used to clean the stable or clean the animals no that's historically incorrect swaddling clothes were actually specifically designed for babies a swaddling band or swaddling cloth was from six to eight inches wide and from two to three to even four or five feet long and it was decorated sometimes even embroidered a very special outer garment for a child. They would take a square cloth like a diaper that you would expect these days, or well now they got these disposable things, but back when they had cloth diapers, they would put that on the child and they would rub the child down with powdered myrtle leaves and oil and wrap them with this swaddling cloth. They would put his legs straight or his or her legs straight, arms straight, and wrap them up like you expect a mummy wrapped up to keep them from being able to wallow around and roll off of something or to even scratch themselves. As you know, some young babies are born with some, some fingernails that are already pretty sharp and they can scratch themselves. So they wrap them up. And they had a belief back then that a child would develop palsy if they didn't do that. So they thought, well, if we keep him nice and straight, he won't have palsy or he won't have any disfiguration, so we'll keep him straight. So it was a health reason that they would do this. Plus, it was a lot more convenient to deal with a newborn when they're not rolling around and doing anything that you don't want them to do while you're not right there in front of them. So that's what the swaddling claws were really about. So this was, he, she came prepared. It doesn't say how much stuff she brought with her, but as you can see, young mothers these days, they carry several things around with them, and you know, that Joseph and Mary were traveling, so they traveled with proper things that they needed to tend to that child when the child was born. Not just grab some rags laying around the stables like, oh, we're surprised if she's going to have a baby. Not, nothing like that. This is all well planned. And Joseph was a businessman. He was a carpenter. They say they were poor and homeless and all this. No, Joseph was a businessman. He probably had a, a lot of wealth. I don't know, we don't know how much that he had, not recorded, but he was a businessman. And in that day, it was a very well-paid business to be in, in carpentry and a builder as he was. Read verse 7 again. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for lo, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Now a manger, as you know, is a feeding trough. It's a wooden trough. Sometimes it was actually stone. Carved out of a, a bank or carved out of a rock, a rock formation where the stables would have been. And there were stables that were actually part of homes. They were added to the home, and you could travel right from inside the home into the stable. And they were carved out of the, the bank or carved out of stone, and they would keep their young livestock in there. And they would have these places specifically set up for feeding the animals, whether it was a, a portable unit, a manger, or whether it was carved into the stone. We're not given those records, but it could be done either way here as it continues. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And that's really what he brought. He brought that peace, that peace that passeth all understanding, which is part of that gift that we receive when we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Verse 15. Oh, wait a minute. Before I finish on 14, it says, toward men. Toward men and women. Toward mankind. Not just toward the men. Get that in there. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. So they became the first missionaries to go out and to proclaim the birth of Jesus Christ. Awesome responsibility that they were given and opportunity that they were given there. But let's look at some of the other records that we see concerning this that we find over in Matthew in chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 2, let's pick it right up in verse 1 here. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east of, to Jerusalem. Now these wise men are known as magi, and we don't know how many there were. It's traditionally believed that there were three. Because as we read on here, you'll see that there were three types of gifts given. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So they just assumed that it was three different wise men. But we don't know. Could have been more. As it continues. Saying, where is he that it is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him have seen his star. 
Now, if you go back to the Babylonians, they had people that were well-learned in astronomy, the Magi. And they studied and watched the signs of the times that were in the stars, the seasons and so forth, and the various changes in the universe, in the whole cosmos. And they saw this and recognized the prophecies and knew that this was a sign of the coming of Jesus. He's saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So why would have Herod been troubled? And why would have all of Jerusalem been troubled? Because they knew enough about the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the new king, that they did not want that to happen. Because they were currently under the rule of the Romans, Herod didn't want to give up his throne, and he didn't want to be in trouble with the Romans. And all of Jerusalem didn't want to be in trouble with the Romans if a new king was to rise up, because then they would be afraid of the Romans creating a, a war and being a lot of conflict, and a lot of them dying. So that was why all the of Jerusalem was troubled at that time. Instead of acknowledging and realizing that this was fulfilled prophecy and and translating and interpreting that prophecy correctly, they didn't. They jumped to the wrong conclusions and because of their own greed and fears, they were all troubled. Verse 4, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. So now they're looking at the prophecies, looking at the prophecies of where was the Lord going to be born. And you can go back into prophecies and see the accounts that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, Thou, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel." You can find that recorded over in Micah. As it continues, Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. He really wasn't interested in worshiping him. But he wanted to know where he was and to get him identified so he could get rid of him, basically. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Now, there's a lot of speculation on this particular star, how it could have pinpointed a house. But with today's technology and with the study of astronomy, you can pinpoint a location anywhere on the earth by using triangulation with the stars and today's technology with satellites. So they take particular satellites and different devices. You pinpoint it. You've got this device you carrying around your pocket. They call a cell phone, which is like a tracking device. 
and they can track exactly the pinpoint place where you're at by way of the cell phone and the cellular towers and the satellites. And these guys were able to do that with stars, just like the mariners, the people on the ocean, the travelers and ships and so forth. They can find where they're at based upon the stars accurately, very accurately. And they were able to do that, pinpoint that. Some have speculated that this star actually came down in a, in a physical way close enough to where they could see it sitting right above the house. Didn't need to do that. Did it? We can't say for sure that it did or did not, but we know it didn't have to because they had the technology back then and even more so today to be able to pinpoint an area based upon the stars. And seeing that one particular star gave them that map of knowing exactly which house to go to because this was at a house. This wasn't at the stables. Traditionally, you see the artwork and the displays and so forth. They got the wise men right there with the Lord as he's is at his day of birth, but this was later. This was a couple years later. As it continues, and when they were coming to the house, notice, coming to the house, not coming to the stables or the, with the manger and the heating trough and so forth, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. Thus we see the source of the traditional belief that there was three wise men. Three types of gifts. One guy could have had two or three of these. And one fellow may have had only one of these. And it may have been six or eight or ten more guys with them. We don't know. So don't make assumptions. Especially when it comes to the word of God. And being warned of God in a dream they, that they should not return to Herod. They departed into their own country another way. Now this is important here that you see they had a relationship with the Lord. They were trusting and believing in the Word of God. These magi going all the way back to their history, all the way back there to when the children of Israel were being held captive in Babylon and the influence that David had on the Babylonians and that carrying over to even to these folks, that trust in the Lord. And they're emphasizing that right here. They listened to the warning to come from God. So these were godly men that came to visit the Lord. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Wasn't to praise him, wasn't to acknowledge him. He wanted to seek him to destroy him. And on over, back over in Luke, in chapter 2, verse 52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So that young man grew up. We have very little of the history of him growing up. But then the ultimate thing that he came to do to die on that cross for us, and he emphasized his power, his authority to the sisters of Lazarus over in John chapter 11, 
In verse 25, And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? That's the ultimate question. Do you believe that? Because when you believe that, when you truly believe that, then John 3.16 comes to life for you, becomes real. That ultimate gift, as emphasized in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. There's a lot in this set of verses here, John 3.16 and 17, because it emphasizes that salvation is by the gift of God. It's by the finished work of Jesus Christ and results in everlasting life to whosoever believeth in Him. And when you look at the word believeth means by living in Him. And it says should not perish. It doesn't say shall not perish. Some of the more up to date you might call them, but more flawed translations put shall not perish. But it's not shall not because believing by just a mental belief, then you acknowledge that Jesus Christ exists. That He come down to come flesh or that he was born or that he was a prophet or that you hate him because you're a Satanist and an Antichrist. You still believe in him. You got to believe in him in order to hate him. So all those folks that just hate him or believe that he existed, but not as God in the flesh, then they're not going to go to heaven. They're not going to have everlasting life. They're going to perish, go to hell. So by living in him, then you should not perish. By living in Him, you will not perish. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. It doesn't say through Him will be saved. It isn't everybody's going to get saved because He came down and did that. No, only those that believe in Him, only those that really receive Him, that take that gift, open it up, and apply it. And that's why He said that to Martha over there in John chapter 11, verse 20. 5 and 26, where he finished that off with, Believest thou this? Do you believe that? Do you truly believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? He spoke everything into existence. He took on flesh, come down here, lived amongst us, died on that cross, took on all the sins of all mankind, past, present, and future. future. He raised from that grave three days later, stuck around some 40 days preaching and teaching, ascended to the Father, sits on the right hand of the Father, our great high priest, our mediator, the propitiation for our sins. If you truly believe that, then you have received that ultimate gift of salvation and are going to be welcomed into the family of God and be able to dwell with Him for eternity. And that's what Christmas is really all about. Jesus coming down to take on flesh to provide us with that ultimate gift of salvation. So receive that gift and share that gift. Let's pray. Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank You oh so much for the many, many things You give us and ultimately the most wonderful gift that is salvation and encourage all of us to share that gift with others. We thank You oh so much for this season and everything that it means as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen.